This episode contains descriptions of body horror. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. The following is an excerpt from F. Marion Crawford's The Doll's Ghost, in which a doll doctor is surprised to discover that his patient has returned home. A cool breath stirred his thin hair, and the low flame of the one candle dropped down almost to a mere spark. There was a faint rustling sound, like some small silk thing blown in a gentle breeze. He sat up straight, stark and scared, and a small wooden voice spoke in the stillness. Papa? It said, with a break between the syllables. It was Nina's doll voice that had spoken, and he should have known it among the voices of a hundred other dolls. And yet there was something more in it, a little human ring with a pitiful cry and a call for help and the wail of a hurt child. He would not have believed that he could be more frightened than he had been just before that. But he was, and his knees shook, for he saw the doll standing in the middle of the floor shining with a faint and ghostly radiance, her beautiful glassy brown eyes fixed on his. And across her face, the very thin line of the break he had mended shone as though it were drawn in light with a fine point of white flame. Hi everyone. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week we begin our first back-to-back -back episode based on the work of Italian-American author F. Marion Crawford. Crawford was a popular writer known for his many historical adventure novels, but it was his small collection of horror writing for which he's also renowned. Today's story, The Doll's Ghost, draws on the Christmas ghost stories that were so in vogue in the Victorian era. Published for the first time in the Illustrated London News Christmas Supplement, this 1896 tale begins innocently enough. It opens with an upper-crust household in disarray because of a broken doll. It seems silly at first. It's only a toy after all. But little Nina is anything but an ordinary doll. Coming up, a doll surgeon meets a very special patient.
The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Lady Gwendolyn was only six years old when she tumbled down her home's grand staircase. There was such a horrible crack on the marble that the entire household paused their duties. Housemaids, butlers, and Lady Gwendolyn's nurse stood frozen, staring at the child's small form lying limply on the floor. But then, Lady Gwendolyn picked herself up on her little legs, not a scratch on them. The cause of the sound had not been her, but her porcelain doll, Nina. The toy had broken her fall. Now, Nina lay in pieces on the floor. One arm was terribly bent and the other had broken off completely. The doll surgeon, Bernard Puckler, was called. Dr. Puckler was an older man, a German, with thinning hair and round spectacles that made him look like a well-meaning owl. He was also something of an eccentric. He had quite an unusual fondness for dolls. And as a doll doctor, he insisted on treating his patients with the utmost respect, like small people. He was exceedingly good at what he did, and for that, he was popular with parents of Gwendolyn's class, who tended to overlook his peculiarities. That afternoon, Dr. Puckler arrived to examine his newest patient. When she was presented to him, Bernard gasped. Nina was the most alive doll he'd ever seen, even in pieces. In examining her parts, he could still see the rosiness on her cheeks, as if to suggest she'd come in from the cold. Her lips, still intact, had been painted with the barest hint of a smirk. And though most dolls had plain glass eyes, the color in Nina's shifted in a way that made them look real. It made the tragedy she'd endured all the more painful. Besides her two broken arms, Nina had suffered a large gash on her face, from the right corner of her forehead to the left of her chin. One eye had been dented and bled across her delicately painted socket and the yellow curls that framed her head had been twisted and mangled in the fall. Bernard could see that she had a tiny little voice box, one that was popular with children those days. Nina should have been able to say, Mama, when you moved her left arm, and Papa, when you pulled on the right. Bernard moved her limbs gently to test them. She was stuck between the first pa and the second. The nurse sobbed. She blamed herself for letting Lady Gwendolyn out of her sight. If she had been watching, she would have never let her go down the stairs with that doll. The nurse looked at Bernard, her voice suddenly low. It was Nina who had caused Gwendolyn to fall, she told him. She was sure of it. Bernard stared at her for a moment, confused. Why would she blame an innocent doll of all things? The woman was obviously distraught. 
and so he did his best to comfort her. Certainly, with Nina in one arm and Lady Gwendolyn steadying herself with the other, the little girl must have lost her balance. But the nurse needn't blame herself, he assured her. He was a parent, and he knew the horror of hearing your child call out from another room utterly inconsolable. He put a hand on the woman's shoulder and offered to speak with Lady Gwendolyn himself to assure her he would fix her doll. But when Bernard found the little girl in the back garden, she was no longer crying. Instead, she was digging in the ground. When Bernard asked what she was doing, Lady Gwendolyn looked up and said, Nina's dead, and I'm digging her a grave. The doll surgeon assured her ladyship that he would bring Nina back to life as soon as he was able. Wouldn't you like that? He asked. But little Gwendolyn only continued digging. Bernard's doll hospital was a small but well-organized room in his family's four-room apartment near Belgrave Square. He had a number of tools and replacement parts, each with their place, be it drawers, shelves, or delicate little hangers. A case by the window held his supply of doll's eyes that stared down at him while he toiled away. Bernard unwrapped his newest patient at his wooden workbench. She was more remains than a doll now but he would fix that soon enough. He held her and told her that it would be all right. He was going to begin his operation. Suddenly, he heard his daughter, Elsa, cry out from behind him. Bernard startled, nearly dropping the doll. He turned to scold Elsa. He could have cracked Nina even further. But as he turned, his rage melted to regret. Elsa looked frightened and uneasy, and his heart broke a little. She must be sick, he thought. He gently placed the doll on his work table, then pressed his hand to his daughter's forehead. Elsa reassured him that she was fine, but Bernard wasn't so certain. She was normally thrilled to have a new patient. Making the doll's clothes and doing their hair was usually her favorite thing. So after she calmed, Bernard asked her what had frightened her so. She said it was the doll. Nina? Bernard asked. Elsa was 12 years old. She had seen hundreds of dolls come in and out of their home over the years, but she's never reacted to one like this before. He expected her to say that she had never seen one as beautiful as Nina before. But Elsa said nothing. Nothing except that she didn't want to go near the doll. It could have been jealousy, Bernard thought. Elsa's dark hair was the exact opposite of Nina's blonde ringlets, and her skin, peppered with small brown freckles, was so different from Nina's porcelain complexion. His daughter was beautiful, but she wasn't Nina. Bernard bent down to meet Elsa's eyes and switched to their native German. He told her that these smaller people were prettier than any human was capable of. There was no need to compete. Elsa didn't seem reassured. Her wide eyes kept drifting past Bernard to Nina lying on the work table. Bernard sighed and kissed Elsa's forehead. 
As much as he wanted to be a good father, he was ready to get back to work. He needed to examine each crack and chip in Nina's porcelain. When he was done, Nina would look better than any doll who had ever lived. He was sure of it. He spent the entire next week with Nina. Each morning, they'd go into his workshop together. He'd muse over paint colors and talk to her about the options. He'd tell her when he was going to put glue on her skin and warn her that it might be cold. And when he had to pull out a needle, he'd run her fingertips over it gently so she could feel it before it was used. It was important to Bernard that the dolls be part of their restoration process. They might not have human souls, but he'd never been able to look at their faces and not see some intelligence. And Nina was so patient. He sewed in her new strands of hair and cemented her face together so beautifully that only the slightest wisp of a scar remained. He fixed her voice box and painted her with the same dappled discolorations that all humans had, making her look even more real than when she'd come into his care. When she was finished, her eyes shone a bright and tantalizing blue. He stared into them and they stared back as if studying him. She was perfect. An extra pair of hands would have helped the process, but Elsa still refused to be in the same room as Nina. Eventually, however, Bernard was able to convince her to make Nina a new pair of pristine white shoes. Usually, Elsa was overjoyed to make clothes for a new client, but she dreaded this particular task. She had very reluctantly measured Nina's feet. Nina appeared offended. Bernard told Nina not to worry. He held her delicate hand and assured her that young girls were fickle and jealous creatures. They couldn't always withstand the glow of true beauty. As he spoke to her, he thought he saw Nina's lip twitch, as if she was smiling. He wished she were. Bernard sighed. He couldn't bear to part with her. Although their time together was brief, the thought that Nina would be leaving soon moved him to tears. He raised her right arm and brought it down gently for a final goodbye. Nina's little voice rang out. It was dusk when Elsa pushed a small box into the room with her foot. Bernard hadn't even asked for one yet. He was not yet ready to pack up his favorite client Yet Elsa was clearly anxious for Nina to depart. He gave Nina another set of reassurances. Elsa was only jealous, but she was also right. It was time for Nina to go home. He held her gently in his arms, but he couldn't bring himself to put her in the box. It was too much like a coffin, and he didn't want Nina to die. Ever. But that was the nice thing about dolls. They didn't have to. He called for his daughter and asked her to return Nina to Cranston House. Elsa nodded dutifully, but her hands trembled as she reached for Nina, nearly dropping the doll. Bernard lost his temper. You could have hurt her, he yelled. Elsa winced and looked at her shoes. Bernard never raised his voice, but he'd raised Elsa better than to treat anyone so cruelly. He was horribly ashamed of her. He told her that if she hurt Nina, Elsa would never be allowed to help with the business again. 
Elsa responded quietly. Yes, Papa. I'm sorry. But Bernard wanted to ensure she would obey his orders. Protect her. You hear me? Protect her with your life. Then he turned away from Elsa, hiding his tears as her footsteps neared the door. Bernard sat at his workbench, waiting. The trip to Cranston House should have taken an hour, but it was long after nightfall and Elsa had not returned. A second hour passed, then a third. Then Bernard started to panic. He paced by the window, muttering to himself, maybe he'd been too cross with Elsa. Perhaps she was just staying out late to get back at him which meant Nina was out in the dark as a result of Elsa's tantrum, and God knows what could happen to her at this time of night. She could be smashed or lost or… The thought was too horrible for Bernard to bear. He sat down. He heard a voice call him from the back of the house. Elsa! She must have returned! Relief washed over him. He walked back to their living quarters and called out for her, ready to chide her for her tardiness. But she wasn't there. Bernard then walked to the bedroom, but it was empty too. He paused, confused. Then he heard her again. Papa? He was getting closer. He must be. Then he heard a soft tapping against the wood, like quiet footsteps coming from the hall. Bernard darted into the corridor and froze. Nina was standing in the hallway. Her eyes were glassy, but so alive. She lifted her right arm as if pointing at him and said, Papa? Coming up, Nina has returned with a message. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. 
Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Now, back to the story. For the briefest moment, Bernard forgot that his child was missing. Nina, beautiful, perfect Nina, with her golden curls and special painted smile, was back. She lifted her arm, and in her beautiful wooden voice, she said, Papa. When she'd arrived in Bernard's shop, she'd been so broken that she'd barely been able to utter a word. Now, she was speaking. To him. And she was moving. For him. All his careful attention had breathed real life into her. Elsa would be amazed. Bernard's eyes went wide as a realization came over him. Elsa? His daughter had left the house with Nina, and now the wrong one had returned. He was suddenly ashamed of the way he treated her. Elsa was his daughter. He should have been kinder. He resolved to shower her in sweets and compliments when she returned. They'd have a small feast, and he'd give her a coin to buy any fabric she wanted. But where was she? And how was Nina here? Bernard crouched to the floor and studied Nina, looking for clues as to Elsa's location. Nina looked similar to how she'd been when she left the shop, bright-eyed and flushed cheeks, but there was a faint green light coming from her skin. It glowed from the right side of her forehead to the left side of her chin exactly where her face had originally cracked. Bernard looked around for some source of the light, but the strange color did not match the orange glow from the hearth. Instead, it seemed to be coming from within the doll, as if poking through the rift in her porcelain face. As he studied her, Nina lifted her arm again. Papa! Bernard shivered. Where is Elsa? he asked. Nina didn't answer him. She only turned and headed for the door. Her gait was wobbly like a small child, but her movements were deliberate. It was absurd, this notion of following a doll. But she was the only hope he had in all of London of finding his Elsa. So he strode after her. But at the front door of the shop, she stopped, standing in front of the little bell that hung from the knob. She lifted her arm. Papa! Bernard cleared his throat, trying to contain his frustration. He spoke sweetly. Nina, we have to find Elsa. What happened to her? Nina lifted her arm. Papa! Her voice 
didn't bring him comfort like it had before. Instead, it mocked him. Nina looked up at him with her perfect blue eyes. Then, she stared up at the doorknob. Papa. Bernard placed his hands on the knob and Nina smiled. He hoped she was agreeing to help. Bernard followed Nina out into the streets. He hadn't walked through London alone since he'd first immigrated to the country. He didn't like the dark, nor the steam, nor the fog. Carts and horses moved too fast and made him nervous. He'd been nearly run over once. But Nina was fearless as she toddled over the cobblestone. Bernard followed her down dark alleyways, guided only by the faint green glow of her porcelain skull. He tried to walk by her side, but she always scurried a little farther ahead, keeping her face hidden. He called out after her, asking if she was taking him to Elsa. But she only looked back and repeated that same mocking sound. As the fog thickened and the street emptied out, Bernard's thoughts grew more panicked. What was Nina keeping from him? He considered the idea that she might be responsible for Elsa's disappearance and his heart pounded against his chest. He attempted to keep his tone calm, his voice almost trembling from the effort. Where is Elsa? Are you taking me to her? But Nina said nothing. Bernard could no longer contain his frustration. So he stopped in his tracks and said, like a parent would a child, Tell me, tell me where she is. But Nina simply looked at him with a gleam in her glassy blue eyes and repeated, Papa. Anger swelled in Bernard's chest. He yelled, I am not your papa. Nina's head snapped in his direction with an eerie clink and her tiny lips smirked. They looked just as Bernard had painted them. Once, he'd believed her little rosebud mouth was perfect, but now it horrified him. She stared at him as if she knew some hidden secret, like where his daughter was. Suddenly, thunder rattled the cobblestones. A horse and cart were coming fast, Bernard stepped back, fearful of getting hit. But Nina was standing in the middle of the road, smiling. The thunder grew. Nina wouldn't survive being run over, and she might be the only thing Bernard had left to hold on to. He grabbed her hand and pulled her to him, diving into an alleyway just as the cart emerged out of the fog. Bernard sat up slowly, dusting himself off, and checked on Nina. To his relief, she was perfectly intact, aside from the glowing gash that divided her face. She climbed up on her own and stood next to him as Bernard watched the last wisps of fog trail after the horseman. It was then that he noticed a glowing green lantern on the opposite wall. He gasped. Below it, lying on the cobblestone, was a small, crumpled form. Elsa. Bernard ran over and dropped to his knees, scooping his daughter into his arms. 
He wept over her little body, pressing kisses to her wet hair and whispering apologies to her in German. A week was the only response. Bernard gasped. Elsa was alive. It was then that he realized what had happened. A large gash ran from the right of Elsa's forehead to the bottom left of her chin, exposing porcelain white bone, just like Nina's. Both eyes were swollen shut and her limbs hung at odd angles as if they'd been sewed on incorrectly. The fog swirled around him, opening up just enough for him to see the little wooden box he put Nina in. The box he told Elsa to protect with her life. It lay on the side of the road, perfectly intact. He remembered the horse and the cart. Elsa must have tried to save it, but hurt herself in the tumble. Elsa started again, but this time she was unable to finish. Something inside Bernard broke. He let out a wail and rocked Elsa against his chest. My beautiful girl, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. He felt a tug on his sleeve and Bernard looked down to see Nina gazing up at him. The doll lifted her arm again. Papa, she said. Then she pointed back home. Yes, home, Bernard thought. There, he had glass eyes, a needle, and paste. He picked Elsa up, cradling her in his arms, her blood soaking his shirt, and carried the broken pieces of his child home. He could make his daughter live again, just as he did with Nina. It might seem hard to believe with franchises like Chucky or Annabelle, but doll horror seems to be a rather young genre in the English literary tradition. In fact, possessed objects of any kind weren't common fiction until the turn of the 20th century. This was likely a result of the Industrial Revolution and growing consumer culture. Dolls became a good deal more frightening when they became a product of mass manufacturing. And dolls are always a bit frightening, aren't they? They sit in that uncanny valley between alive and dead, endowed with a personality by the child that holds them. And yet, stories of all genres often suspect that when a child walks out of the room, their playthings take on a life of their own. From Toy Story to The Velveteen Rabbit, we've been believing that toys experience pain and loss just like we do. F. Marion Crawford's The Doll's Ghost hinges on this pain. The story begins with a major accident that harms a doll, but though Nina is, or perhaps only appears to be, an inanimate object, Crawford uses violence to describe her injury as if she is human. And much like a person, it's implied that Nina was not only alive, but that she died in that first accident as well. At least, until Dr. Puckler resurrects her. But is it possible to destroy an object at all when it could 
have a soul. As I mentioned, the uncanny similarities between dolls and the children who own them are a large part of what inspires the doll horror genre. Seeing something familiar recreated in unsettling ways has amazing potential for fear. But perhaps what's more terrifying are the things we don't know. The things we can hardly describe. Next week, join us as we take a voyage across the sea and encounter the unknown in yet another chilling tale by F. Marion Crawford. His most famous ghost story, The Upper Birth. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Stacey Lee Nemick and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. <laughs>